Thank you for joining us for our Renewal City Church podcast. If you're looking for ways to get involved, join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Roxy Theater in Longview, or find us online at rcclongview.org. We hope you're blessed and that this message finds you well. All right, 2022, you made it, congratulations. It's funny, the last couple of New Year's, um, I, I feel like there have been years where, you, where the sentiment during the year is, I just can't wait for this year to be over and let's move on to the next one. I know at the end of 2020, it was like, oh man, I can't wait till 2021. Things are going to be so much better in 2021. And of course, that worked out great. Um, and then for the last year, it's been like, oh, I can't wait till 2022. Well, I am sure, you heard it here first, 2022 bringing good things, good things coming down the pike for sure. Uh, question, did anyone's Christmas decorations survive to 2022? Anyone's Christmas? A few, a few of you. We, uh, it's always mixed feelings, right? Because it's so nice to get the house somewhat decluttered. And then at the same time, the most wonderful time of the year is over. And we're a solid 11 and a half months from it ever coming back. So, um, you know, the house always seems just a, a little bit sad, uh, but also decluttered after the after the holidays. So we survived to 2022. Congratulations, because you have also made it to the eighth day of Christmas. How many of you knew today was the eighth day of Christmas before I said it? Any of you tracking with that? No? No one? You know, oh, someone? No? Oh, yeah, there you go. That's right. We've got, we've got one educated Christian among us. This is part of the problem with um, our corner of of Christianity, kind of this, uh, you know, we call it multi-denominational, although some people left the church over that one time because they didn't like that, but um, this was years ago, this was years ago. Um, We don't tend to have a lot of connection to history. This is part of the problem with, um, you know, uh, America in general, like we just don't, we don't have a long history, we're not richly connected to our history. For many of us, we don't know anything about 12 days of Christmas beyond what's covered in the song. And even in that, if you, we used to have a Christmas Eve tradition, we would gather with my mother's side of the family and we would sing Christmas carols together. Um, and then it usually, my aunt, who's a uh, retired elementary school teacher, had these old books, probably from the, I don't know, 70s, of Christmas carols. And, <laughs> and then... Someone would, as a joke, always suggest that we sing the 12 days of Christmas. And we would start the 12 days of Christmas, and we would get through the first couple of days, and then we would speed that song up to sing through the rest of it, or we would just cut it off and be done. Uh, we would get right to the 12 drummers drumming. Lord's Elite, I don't know. I lose track. For the first half, you're giving away birds, right? And, and that kind of makes sense, because giving someone a pet for Christmas makes a little bit of sense. But then you start giving away people after you get to like day seven or eight, and there's just problems with that. So, and not only that, but you're definitely tired of singing by that point, so I lose track after day eight. Um, for the, for the, you know, at least the last 1,500 years or so, we have had Christian brothers and sisters, many of them that we might not know very well, but we've had Christian brothers and sisters who have seen today, not just as January 2nd, but they've seen today as the eighth day of Christmas. They've seen this season 
as a season of, uh, tw- you know, 12 days, uh, uh, 13, I guess, if you're being technical, but 12 days because 13 you know, unlucky. So tradition doesn't carry 13 for anything. Uh, hence why this church is located on Commerce Avenue and not 13th Avenue. But anyhow, they, they see this as a period of time set aside for, for feasting, for celebrating, for remembering. Different days are dedicated to different uh, aspects of our faith, different historical things that happened, different saints who passed away. Um, and I won't, I won't dive into all of that. Um, we were going to talk all about St. Stephen on December 26th, but uh, we canceled church that day. So I will save that until seven or eight years in the future when Sunday, December 26th happens again, and I'll be, I'll be ready to go. <laughs> Just you wait. Um, but they've seen it as as more than just a day. Um, and I've been wondering this week, like what, what wisdom is hidden in there for us? What can we learn from these traditions if we're willing to be connected to and learn from uh, the elders of our faith? I, I would imagine that if one of our brothers and sisters from ages bygone or from a little different tradition were to uh, come and be a part of you know, your Christmas celebrations over the last year, I I imagine what are things they would notice that they would see as so different? What are things they would notice as missing in our celebrations? Um, I think one thing they'd be really shocked by is just our pace of life. Um, They'd be shocked by the smallness of our world, you know, this idea that I I can get in a car and I can drive, you know, on a tank of gas, a journey that that might have taken days or, or weeks or even months before, depending on where I'm going. Um, I, you think about holiday travel and how frustrated we might get waiting 45 minutes in a security checkpoint line. And you're like, I can't believe I have to wait 45 minutes in this, you know, this 45-minute delay is unacceptable in my holiday travel plans. But you're about to get on a plane and fly somewhere that, I mean, it would have taken forever to get there before. Just, just a few generations ago, it wouldn't have been an option to go home for the holidays unless you lived near home. And so I think people from generations ago would marvel at how connected our world is. They would marvel at the, the speed at which we can travel. Um, I mean, in the blink of an eye, you can have a conversation with anyone, anywhere in the world. And I'm super grateful for that, you know, the, the once every few months when I do a video call with my brother who lives in Ireland. I'm so thankful for the opportunity to connect with him. Um, but then there's times, too, where I become aware of just how much my own mind is inundated with, you know, is being stimulated by this audio, visual cues that are constantly surrounding us and being thrown at us through the technology that we have. Every now and then, I'm aware of this fact that my life is just flying at an insane pace and my calendar is full of things to go to, things to do, uh, Evenings are full. Everything is full. And I'm aware of the fact that maybe this isn't how I was created to live. I think a message that it would be shouted to us from generations ago, a, a, a takeaway we could have from even the fact that, that 12 days of Christmas has become, you know, one quick day. Um, I think the message for us is, is telling us slow down. Slow down. You know, we all know we've had a couple of different difficult years and we've kind of been in the, I just can't wait for it to be over. I just can't wait for it to be over. 
But do you remember what it's like to come back and to see people that you haven't seen and in a year and in, in a year and a half or in two years, especially if those people that you're seeing have children and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe how much your child has grown. I feel like we missed like the whole first year of Hilo's life. So Amber, our good friend, has a baby and then suddenly her baby's one. And it's like, what are you talking about? You know, I, I think we'd maybe seen him once or twice in the first year of his life because we spent time away from each other. And it's fine to, to hope for better times, and it's fine to want, you know, hard times to pass quickly. But, but as we're racing to get over things, oftentimes what we do is we find ourselves um, in an effort to get through the time. We find ourselves self, self-medicating with all kinds of distractions, with all kinds of pleasures, with, you know, in your hurry to get on to the next thing, we, we find ourselves, I think, oftentimes filling our lives with things that don't quite work out how they're supposed to. And we have to ask the question, is this really what we were created for? Is this really the path towards a meaningful and a satisfying life? Confession time for me. Uh, Susie, our children's director, had this awesome idea for the centerpieces for Advent, right? And we had these scented candles, and each scent was tied to a theme for that week of Advent. And every week, we said, make sure you take some time this week to to burn the candle, to pray, to reflect on the scent and the theme of the week. And, um, And it was this beautiful idea of a way for us to slow down and take time to reflect on the Advent season. And we got to the end of Advent, and uh, three of my candles had been burned at all. One of them, the last one, didn't get, didn't get burned one single bit. I'm going to blame that on COVID over Christmas. That's what I'm going to do. Um, but I remember entering into it. I'm like, this is such a great idea. This is what I need in my life to take time. And I'm going to burn each one of these candles dry every single week. And, um, and then as Advent came and went, like, it turned out I didn't have as much time to burn candles as I thought I would. It, it turned out that there was so much to do in December, and I just didn't have the opportunity to do everything that I wanted to do. And I have a feeling, if your homework for the week was to bring back your scented Advent candles next week, I have a feeling that there would be more candles with a lot left in them than dry candles. I would, I'm tempted to say, anyone burn their candles dry just so the super Christians can raise their hands? But, um, but this is how we live our lives. So much to do. So much to worry about. There's a story in the Gospel of Luke of a woman who shared these kinds of concerns. You can turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. We'll start reading in verse 38. Um, This is a pretty well-known story if you've been around Christendom for any length of time. In fact, I was like, oh, this is such a cliche story. I don't even want to bring it up. But I really feel like God has something for us here. So, um, so Lord, as we just turn to your word, uh, we ask that you would open our hearts, Holy Spirit, to the words that you have to say to us. Um, I imagine I heard it, uh, Bibles opening and some pages turning. It's like a miracle in 2022 to hear that. Uh, but I heard it. And so I pray that in that same way, our hearts would be open and your spirit would be turning the pages of our heart to the places where you are wanting to write something for us, a word for this year. Uh, Come and speak to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 says, As Jesus and his disciples 
were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha, oops, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And so she came to him and she asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. So Martha has opened her home. Jesus' disciples are coming in. Uh, that's, a, that's a lot of people. I mean, if he brought all 12 into the home, that's a lot of people. And hospitality is a lot of work. I mean, you know, dinner's not going to make itself. And so Martha is here slaving away. She's worried about getting everything ready to be a good host. And her sister Mary, who I imagine is supposed to be being helpful uh, by all cultural standards of the day, she's not. She's not being helpful. In fact, she's sitting at Jesus' feet. She's sitting at this rabbi's feet, learning from him in the fashion of of the way that the disciples would, sitting at the rabbi's feet and listening. And in in Martha's mind, the, the progressive nature of this whole situation, a woman sitting at a rabbi's feet, learning from him, it, that's lost on her. The significance of what Mary is doing, like never mind that Mary in sitting at the master's feet is setting the table for the empowerment of women in the kingdom of God. Like this is a significant kingdom moment. But that doesn't matter to Martha. You know, never mind that she's paving the way to, you know, literally double the pool for people who can be ministers of the gospel. Like, now women can be disciples too. This is amazing. About half the world's population is women. So, you know, the kingdom just got blown wide open by this situation. All of that's lost. What Martha is concerned about is the fact that she has people in her home that she needs to host and she needs to care for, and she's feeling abandoned by the people around her who she, she thinks should be helping her. All that Martha can see is that Mary is being unproductive and unhelpful. Martha is living an earth-shattering moment in the kingdom. Martha is living in a moment that, that in many ways changed everything. And yet, she's preoccupied by the next meal that's sitting right in front of her. I wonder how often this is the case for us in earth-shattering moments. Where maybe God is doing something incredibly significant, like making a statement about where women belong in his kingdom. Maybe he's doing something incredibly countercultural, and yet we can't see it at all because our minds are fully preoccupied with the next meal that needs to be prepared. I was thinking that that Martha fed Jesus and his disciples, and that's a beautiful thing. But Mary, in sitting at Jesus' feet, did something that, that changed the kingdom in many ways for all time. I wonder if the most impactful thing that you could do this week would be to sit at Jesus' feet. Jesus says to Martha, verse 41, he says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and you're upset about many things. When I hear him say that, I'm hearing compassion in those words, right? I'm hearing empathy. I'm hearing, Martha, Martha, I know where you're at. I know what it's like to have all of these concerns. 
I know what it's like to feel upset because the people around you aren't seeming to pull their weight or really get it. I mean, how many times is Jesus like, oh my gosh, how long do I have to be with you disciples? You are driving me crazy. I think Jesus is saying to Martha, I can feel that gasp of frustration. I just want to reach out to you in this moment and tell you I know where you're at, but there's something deeper for you to grab onto. He says you're worried and you're upset about many things, but then he says to her there are few things that are needed. Indeed, there's only one. I love this because Jesus is reaching out to Martha and he's saying, hey, I You're upset about these things. I can tell what's going on inside of you. I'm feeling those feelings that you're feeling. Those anxieties are real. But then he speaks truth into her. And he says, the resolution of all of that is not going to come through cooking this meal. It's not like, and maybe you've experienced this. You you feel like, if I can just get these three things done with my list, then finally I will be at peace. And maybe those three things are your daily tasks, or maybe those three things are like your next three life goals, or, or whatever it might be. But we're tempted to think like that, right? Like, I'm so agitated, and I'm full of anxiety, and if I can just do these things, then I will finally know peace. Jesus says, there are actually only a few things needed. There's actually only one thing needed. And then he says to her, and Mary has chosen what is better. And that is not going to be taken away from her. What is Jesus saying to Martha? And maybe more importantly than that, what is Jesus saying to you? You end up with stories like this in scripture that have been not just, you know, recorded by someone initially, but then they end up being preserved through, you know, the unlikeliness of of centuries and and culture and, and language. They end up preserved for us. What are we supposed to be taking away from this? For me, someone who, you know, couldn't even get enough candle time during Advent to sit before the Lord and sit at his feet because I'm worried and preoccupied by so many things. For me, where there are items on my to-do list that oftentimes seem more important than whatever my version of sitting at Jesus' feet might be, I can hear the Lord saying to me, James, James, I know that you're worried about so many things. I know your list is as long as the day. I know your identity is wrapped up in being productive. But I'm giving you an opportunity now to choose the things that are better. To choose the things that will never be taken away from you. Imagine how much of my life is lived, how much of your life is lived, worrying about certain things being taken away from you. And how... How much anxiety does that produce in our lives? Worried that all the hard work we have done is going to be undone, that maybe the things we've acquired will be taken from us, the people that we love will be taken from us. And somewhere in that storm of anxiety, I think the Lord's voice would be saying to us, choose the better things. Choose the one thing that can, be never, that can never be taken away from you. That's hard to do, right? I don't, I don't know. I, I had the unique privilege of uh, shoveling snow this week. We don't get an opportunity to shovel snow very often around here, right? And in my mind, you know, it's been snowing pretty good, and I know a freeze is coming, and I, I hate 
like the lumpy, icy driveway. And so I'm like, I'm gonna get the I'm gonna get the driveway shoveled off, and then I can go out and check the mail and and put the garbage can out, even if the garbage truck's not gonna come by because it's snowy. Um, but I can do all this without slipping and falling in my driveway, or if people come over, you know, no one's gonna slip and fall, right? I just feel like I owe it to my homeowner's insurance company to do these kinds of things. And so I go out and I shovel off the driveway. And, I, you know, I'm burning some energy doing that. And I don't have a snow shovel, so I ha- but I do have a, uh, a metal dustpan. So I've, I've used a few pipe clamps to rig a broom handle to my metal dustpan. And I'm like, I'm far enough from any of the neighbors. They can't see this janky, weird thing that I'm holding. Like, this should be good. And so I get the driveway shoveled off. And, um, and then, like, it just keeps snowing, right? <laughs> And so I thought, oh, man, I should have taken a picture of my driveway. Like, it is an icy, like, lumpy, frozen mess. It's a mess, just like the road in front of my house is a mess. And I spent all this time doing something because in my mind, I thought, I'll be able to sit in my chair and know that my driveway is clear and dry, and this is going to be wonderful. And in no time, it's as if I hadn't, it, it is as if I hadn't done anything. That's how the driveway looks. It looks like I hadn't done anything. Um... How many things that I'm doing in life are just like that? I'm working really hard. In my mind, I think I'm making progress. But because of whatever is coming tomorrow that I have no idea about, I should have known about the weather. I should have known the snow was still falling. Um, But how many things in my life, because of what is coming tomorrow, it's a waste of energy. It's a waste of time. It is not going to lead to enduring peace and contentment it's just going to lead to me being more frazzled and frustrated than I was the day before. This is how limited our perspective can be in the moment. This is why, at times, we need to understand we cannot lean on our own understanding. We have to trust the words of Jesus. I really believe we'll be better off, and I really believe that Jesus' words are trustworthy if we can lean into them and truly believe them. So here's the challenge this year. Here's a New Year's resolution for you. Um, slow down and sit at the master's feet. I think it really is that better thing. I think it really does lead to things that cannot, a, a thing that cannot be taken from you. I think I, I struggled a little bit with this message because sometimes I feel like, is this just for me or is this something I should share with others and encourage them? And, and, um, so whatever it, it means to you, but I do want to share about something I've been doing that's been um, really helpful. Um, many of you know I went on a sabbatical a, a couple of, of weeks ago, and one of the things that was presented to me as a useful tool for sitting at the master's feet and for connecting with God in a meaningful way was this idea of a prayer book. And so for hundreds of years, the church has been using prayer books, and uh, and, and really, for probably all of Christendom, for 2,000 years plus, the church has been observing uh, offices of daily prayer. And so, uh, Christians, uh, kind of following the Jewish tradition that existed before, would at certain times of the day, pause to pray. Um, and, uh, and so, I got this prayer book that has been helping me to observe four offices of prayer a day. The first one is when I wake up. Uh, I mean, it's supposed to be between the hours of 6 and 9, which uh, I wake up between 6 and 9, so there. Um, <laughs> first one's when I wake up. Second one's uh, midday prayers, so that's supposed to be between 11 and 2. 
And then there's evening prayers, uh, which is between 5 and 8. And then there's uh, bedtime prayers when, whenever you retire for the day, preferably before midnight, because then that would be the next day. Um, so for the last couple of months, I've been doing this. I've, been, I've got this book that has these uh, scriptures and, and poems and readings and all kinds of different stuff. It's based off of the English Book of, of Common Prayer. Um, it's written by an author named Phyllis Tickle. Um, her last name just struck me as kind of funny. Um, anyhow, um, so I've been doing this for a couple of months. And I don't, I don't hit all four offices every day. Um, so it's not like I'm like, hey, look, you know, this is, this is what you got to do. I'm super disciplined about this. But there's something that's changed inside of me is my habit of breaking away from my day and, and connecting with God in a time of prayer has really become established. And I noticed it over the last week and a half when my routine was suddenly disrupted. You know, the, the family's all stuck at home. We're all isolating together. Uh, of course, the holiday's happening. And so this routine that I'd really fallen into of, of being able to steal away and spend this time in prayer every day became disrupted. And I noticed inside of myself a hunger for prayer. I've been a Christian, you know, my whole life. I was born praying in tongues. I mean, I am, I have never felt a hunger for prayer. I think I've shared before, like my secret to falling asleep in the middle of the night, if I can't fall asleep, is to pray because it, like, it works every time. I just start praying for someone else and I'm out. But as this new way of relating to God and this regular rhythm of unplugging and slowing down and separating from the world around me became established in my life, and then suddenly a disruption came to that rhythm, I have genuinely felt hunger to connect with the presence of God. And like hunger in a good way. I think I've, certainly I've felt like spiritually dry before, or I felt like, man, I just, I need to get back into the word, or I need to get back to church, or I need to get, I need to pray. I just need to pray. Like that, that desperate sort of hunger. This is more like my tummy's growling, and I just want to eat something, you know, in a good way, a hunger for God's word. And, and it was like, you know, you have this epiphany kind of moment where you're like, oh my gosh, this is what the psalmist is talking about. That like I would hunger and thirst for God. Not like in a, well, I really should be, but like a, man, I could eat. I could eat a lot. This is what's worked for me. This is a way that I've found to slow down and sit at the master's feet. My prayer is that in this coming year, each of us as believers following the Lord, and whether that's people as a part of renewal following the Lord or people as a part of the big C, the church around us following the Lord, that each of us would find a way to allow God to awaken that hunger in our soul for him. If that means that because I'm hungry for the presence of God, dinner doesn't get cooked for a night because I was sitting at his feet, then so be it. If that means that because I'm hungering for the presence of God and I'm sitting at his feet, a ball gets dropped. Something doesn't happen that should have happened. Maybe even one of my Christian's brothers or sisters is a little frustrated with me, feeling like, man, there was supposed to be coffee when I got to church today. And there's no coffee. What's going on? Well, if some things start, if less gets done 
because we are sitting at the master's feet, then I think on a whole as a community, we become more healthy. We become uh, more full. We become more content. We become more satisfied. And then, and then if we're hungry and content and satisfied, one thing we will find is a lot less of those kind of self-medicating behaviors, right? Like every now and then I wonder if like, because, you know, uh, it's very popular in Christian culture in America to like roll out the red carpet for, you know, for guests and things like that and to try to, you know, to really, we get, we, everything's got to go right. We got we to gotta, we gotta set the table just right. I wonder if people came and they sat at the table and they truly ate and drank of the presence of God, if uh, maybe a week without coffee wouldn't matter. I mean, I know, I know that stuff can be a big deal, but I wonder what would happen if God truly had captured our hearts and our appetites were for him. I imagine what it's like. I don't know. Um, I'm going to pray. We're going to give you some time to discuss that. I think if you scan those QR codes, the questions are going to be there. I hope that I hope that works out.